This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Helen Farmer with you. Fantastic to have you with us on this episode. And experts galore. Do you have personal integrity? Do you even know what that means? David Godfrey, author, speaker and coach, was helping us identify exactly what we can do to live by our values. He helps high achievers identify those blind spots. And with Charlotte Audrey, are you feeling overwhelmed? Not good enough as a parent. Settling some nerves, giving you a confidence boost and some practical tips and tricks too. Talking property with House and House, Charlie Bannon helping us find an agent that we trust, taking your questions too. We were catching up with Alfie Best, who's known as the Gypsy Billionaire. He's gone from caravan to mega mansion. And in our property law special, it was Scott Hutton in the hot seat on hand to give us some free legal advice. We're unpacking the topic of personal integrity this hour. We've got Chase Life Consulting with us. They provide some strategic health and performance consulting. It's founded by Rachel and David Godfrey. So helping high achievers identify maybe some of the blind spots that could be holding them back, retraining their brains as well. And David, now he is an author, a speaker, a peak performance mentor, and a specialist when it comes to emotional and behavioural change for entrepreneurs and business owners in particular. We're going to be talking about how to motivate yourself, starting with that personal integrity piece. And we're going to start with definitions, David, because I'm not sure I know what you mean when you talk about the importance of personal integrity. Let's talk about the what, and then we'll talk about the why. What exactly is personal integrity? Yeah, got it. Well, um, the way that we describe it is that integrity is, first of all, talking to doing what you said you were going to do. Okay. So essentially delivering on your promises. Keeping your word. Exactly. And the way that we see it is that It starts with personal integrity, delivering on your promises to yourself. Okay, let's talk about some examples in in maybe personal life and then we can maybe can relay it into business. So confession time. Um, When I think about the pandemic, okay, I got really good at working out on my own. I'd make a little plan. I would do the plan. Now, fast forward a few years, if I go like if I do a workout at home, I'm like, "Mm, I said I was going to do half an hour and then I kind of stop at about 20 minutes I'm like that's enough and I don't feel like I'm keeping my word to myself and it doesn't sit well with me as a result I do classes instead otherwise I, ju- I just lie to myself would that be a fair example of not keeping my own word absolutely <laughs> okay right <laughs> what about in the work environment and why is it important in particular about having living by your values yes but also having that sense of personal integrity yeah so in the work environment it gets a little sticky because now you've got to marry delivering your promises to yourself Mm -hmm. and delivering your promises to the workplace. And that's where we can end up getting these areas of conflict. So in order for somebody to be able to deliver on their promises to themselves, to keep their words, to keep their personal integrity, so that essentially personal integrity builds self-respect. Because if you're constantly breaking your promises to yourself, if you say one thing and then do another over and over and over again, you, you, you stop respecting yourself you even stop trusting yourself to a certain degree the confidence can go a bit yeah exactly but do you think sometimes we have unrealistic expectations of what we can achieve and sometimes we're breaking that promise not out of any laziness or or lack of integrity or or discipline it's just because it wasn't that realistic to begin with so that can absolutely play into it um there's there's a number of things that can be going on behind the scenes so one of the ones that we see very frequently is where people are essentially people-pleasing. Now, there will be a 
a large section of people who would qualify as people pleasers, mm -hmm. I, I hesitate with using the identity statement as a, as a people pleaser because it's not who you are. It's just, it's, it's a behavior, right? But, um, but there are large sections of people who would fit that who don't necessarily realize that that's what they're doing. It, the types of people that we work with, they're often high achievers who have entered into the workplace as highly capable, um, very driven, very hardworking, and they build a reputation as reliable, as going above and beyond. They want to prove themselves, and then they keep on wanting to prove themselves, and they get to a point where they're still desperately trying to prove themselves long after they ever had anything to prove. Mm -hmm. And... So as a consequence, they're constantly saying yes when they really wish they could say no. And they have no idea how to set boundaries. We're talking about personal integrity now, trying to get an understanding of why living by your values and keeping your word can be a bit of a secret to success. And we've had questions on this. We've had messages on this. Um, a message here asking, you can, you can convert your people pleaser by throwing in a few justified no's from time to time. Build a reputation of a person who says no only when it's really not feasible and people respect that. Teach me your ways, David. <laughs> if we are thinking about putting boundaries in place and the power of saying no, Tell us where it can start and why it can be so powerful. Yeah, so uh, like you say, it, it's such a critical skill because if you think of the path of the typical high achiever is that they <clears throat> they come out of sc school or university, usually done very well academically. They've proven that they have an aptitude, they are um, intelligent and they are hardworking. They have a certain drive, they want to succeed. And so they go into the workplace wanting to prove themselves and so they go above and beyond. And it can get to a point where, where, where's the boundary? What's good enough? Yeah. What, 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 does, what do great results get rewarded with? More work. <laughs> <laughs> it's so sad, but it's so true, isn't it? Yeah. Like, because do you know what? It's not really in a boss's interest to say, great job, well done. That's enough now. And it's not, and they might be completely oblivious to the fact that you are just inundated and, and, not coping. Mm -hmm. So nobody's going to respect your time like you do. And if, if you're not willing to respect your own time, then, then nobody else is, is going to. And the chances are they're not even going to notice. And even if they do notice, they might only step in if they really see you starting to crack. So what worries me is that a lot of people go, I hear what you're saying, but if I start saying no, or I start to behave in a certain way, then I'm going to get rejected or disciplined or people's perception of me is going to go down. How can you manage that between still keeping a great reputation for being conscientious and hardworking without ultimately sacrificing your reputation? Great question. So there's, um, there's a couple of aspects to this. So the first one is just the the surface level behavior of being able to say no. But there are also ways that people can learn to say no without actually saying the words, you know? Um, absolutely. Which which of these would be best for me to deprioritize in order for me to deliver on this? Mm -hmm. So so now I'm not saying no, I'm just saying I'm already at max capacity. And so if, if I'm to deliver this in this time frame to this particular standard, then I'm going. Something else has to give. So, so what? What is that going to be? Oh, I like that. I've, on the social front, I'm terrible for saying yes to things and then regretting it. 
And I saw a great tweet the other day, which was about, you know, if you're going to make an, ex- make an excuse, don't offer up a problem to be solved. For example, dinner sounds amazing. We can't make it because we can't get a babysitter that night. Because ultimately someone's go, do you know what? I've got a teenage daughter. She'd be delighted to earn a few dirhams. I'll send her your way. So I think, yeah, not offering up a, a problem to be solved by somebody can often go a long way. Julie's been in touch on the phone line 04871 to have your say on the topic. Love this topic and apologies for the voice note. But integrity for me, particularly in the workplace and being within the service industry, my mantra is to do no harm. And that's where I believe that my personal integrity influences how I practice. And what that looks like to me is that I work tirelessly to update myself and be as current as I possibly can with with the most helpful evidence and research-based practices. So that's what integrity means to me. But also having an awareness of what my goals are may not be the same as my client and so it it's about having the integrity to recognize that i am not delivering for my client mm, that's a good distinction isn't it in terms of having different goals but being able to communicate why your priorities might be different i think for a lot of people we want we want we want to ultimately reach targets we want to meet goals we want to make clients happy but we also want to be able to sleep at night and that might be through not stressing ourselves out or not making promises on something that isn't true to our abilities or indeed our, our standards. Um, so what do you think people can do to protect their personal integrity, David? What, can, what steps can you make to change, you know, whether it's behaviour of a lifetime or something you've just started doing recently? So something that stands out to me uh, actually from, from that voice note just then is making sure that you are only making promises that you can deliver. So that lady's wonderful message, and it, it, she she sounds like she just you know really cares, really wants to make a difference, which is amazing. But what I hear behind it is potentially some perfectionism coming in. And so we've worked with a lot of um, people in the medical profession, um, a lot of surgeons, and the medical profession tends to attract perfectionists and then amplify their already perfectionist behaviors. And so we have to be able to distinguish between what is high standards, even exceptional standards, even excellence, and perfectionism. Mm. And perfectionism is being driven by, and there's a big overlap between perfectionism and people-pleasing. And both of them will cause people to struggle with their integrity because it, co- it creates uh, values conflicts. So when somebody is being driven by perfectionism, they are essentially being driven by the fear of judgment, whether it's their own judgment or somebody else's. And the way that I describe it actually is any time that we fear being judged by others, it's actually revealing where we're judging ourselves. They say something and it can only affect you to the degree to which you already believe those words. Oh, yeah. Okay. And it can be hugely paralyzing as well. You can become a massive... Um, I'm certainly not saying this about Julie, who's been in touch, but, but you can be, it, it almost becomes like procrastination because you're so afraid of getting something wrong. So that is one of the uh, often symptoms of 
perfectionism is procrastination because perfectionism is being driven by I need to get everything perfect and look perfect so that nobody can judge or criticize me. Mm -hmm. So you end up with instead of intelligent standards based upon uh, outcomes and progress, you end up with impossible standards based on needing to avoid any judgment or rejection or criticism of any sort. We've run out of time, David, but for any good resources that you'd recommend on the topic of integrity, any books that you've read, any experts in the field that you feel like we could be digging a little bit deeper into? Ooh, um, so what comes to mind on that? Uh, th- this whole concept of personal integrity is actually one <laughs> we've we, we've come up with ourselves, actually. Um, but um, there's 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 one book actually that's worth a lot of people getting called Essentialism. By Greg McKeown. Um, on the topic of, of um, perfectionism, we spoke to an amazing um, author and professor actually out of um, the UK. And it's called The Perfection Trap, which yeah. I thought was a good one as well. Let me just find this book. Um, yeah, Greg, Greg McKeown, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. Mm. That sounds like a good one. David, in the meantime, for people who want to get in touch with you guys and speak to, you know, whether it's about, you know, corporate work or individual work, what's the best way of getting in touch with you and Rachel? So best place is uh, our website, chaselifeconsulting.com. Uh, and you can always follow follow us on social media. So I'm at uh, DX Godfrey. Uh, and, uh, what does the X stand for? Xavier. Oh, just, I thought it was the only possible answer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Really, really appreciate it. Right, put your honest hat on. Are you as a parent feeling overwhelmed maybe not good enough as a parent maybe you're always questioning yourself if you're doing enough questioning if your children are happy you're doing the right things are they hitting those milestones that comparison can be a killer joining us now is montessori educator parenting mentor and author charlotte audrey from enriching environments and when we were just chatting off air you were saying you'd like to talk about what you're feeling and what you're getting from other parents in the community is that sense of overwhelm pretty real right now Hi, Helen. Yes, it it really is. And I, all of my work actually is based on my own experience and really feeling into that overwhelm, understanding it, learning to manage it with my two little ones. And um, I'm a single mum as well. So that plays another, uh, another little element I- into it. And really, what's interesting for me is that there was a Forbes study done last year, 2022, which showed that 70% of working parents are concerned about their child's development in some way. And we think 70% is a lot. That was a US study, but I'll be prepared to bet that it's probably the same here. And 70% are worried about some area of their child's development, physical, cognitive, language, emotional, social, social, Mm -hmm. all of the normal ones. So that's a call to action for companies, I think, for organisations to offer parenting support as part of a corporate wellness program Mm -hmm. and that's one of the things I do but also that's a call to us and when when do we know that we're enough when do we know that we're good enough where what is this what is this benchmark Mm -hmm. and and Instagram for all the wonders of it it is a really horrid place to go when we're not feeling good in ourselves when we've shouted when we have an imperfect house, when we're not saying the right things as per the parenting script, you know, that's that's when we can really beat ourselves up and that's not mm. a very helpful place to be in at all. I mean, I'm just nodding along. <laughs> 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 and, I'm, and I'm lucky enough to really enjoy my job. 
Mm. There are an awful lot of people yeah. who when they're at work, they're not enjoying it. And they're mm. thinking, I'd rather be with the kids. And then when they're at home with the kids, they're thinking, I should be thinking about work. I've got things to do. And then you end up feeling torn and stressed and unproductive and overwhelmed mm. and not good enough. Now, sometimes these feelings can be quite useful because they can be a bit of a signal that maybe there needs to be a change. However, I'd say for the most part, they don't particularly serve us very well. What are some of the signs that perhaps these ideas of guilt and overwhelm and not good enough are maybe taking us down a slippery slope? Um, I think speaking from my own experience was when I realised I wasn't enjoying being with my children as much as I wanted to. Mm -hmm. I was then thinking about the next thing I was going to be late for, I wasn't organised for. And that was my red flag of going, actually, this is a really precious time. And if it's only 30 minutes a day, we, what we do know, all the research shows that quality rather than quantity is really important when we are with children and particularly young children. So if it's 30 minutes a day, then it's 30 minutes a day. And coming out of that um, energy of beating ourselves up about what we are or we're not doing and um, focusing on being present in the moment. And that's the really hard thing because that goes deep into our own inner work, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And that calls us to put other things to side, all the millions of things on our to-do list and be present. Um, so I think one, one piece of it is um, knowing ourselves and understanding ourselves and um, being, being really compassionate. Charlotte Audrey, she's joining us today, as we said, Montessori educator um, from Enriching Environments. A message from Tina here saying... Your kids don't want a perfect mum, they want a happy mum. Does your guest agree? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, they definitely don't need a perfect mum. And actually they... What, does it, what is a, per what's a perfect mum anyway? Perfect, what's a perfect mum? And also the, the, the focus also on happiness is can also lead us down a wrong track as well. I completely agree with the energy that, that Tina was bringing there. However, also, if we focus on that we are happy and positive with our children the whole time, that's not a reflection of life. So again, we can, I like to say, if we treat ourselves as sacred as our child's first teacher, not for pressure, but actually, what is what does it mean to be sacred? We love the flaws, the gifts of something that's sacred, and the flaws of something that's sacred. So there are going to be moments of dysregulation of our children and us and there's going to be beautiful connective moments when we're just having dinner together or snuggling up with the story mm -hmm. or being on the beach and crashing in the waves but all of those bits are sacred and and children really learn through we're modeling conflict resolution when we the, the repair is so much better um the, the repair is so much more important than those moments where we do um fall off who from who we really want to be and that's inevitable. That is that mm. is life. It would be, I think, a bit creepy if you are this <laughs> always smiling, yes. always happy parent. It's not setting yourself up. Well, it's not setting your kids up for anything mm. realistic in the real world, which I do urge you to go and check out on Instagram, by the way. Some brilliant resources and ideas uh, with Montessori kind of front and centre, which we're going to come on to. But um, I wanted to read out a message that we've had on 4001, Charlotte. No name on it, saying, I spend my whole work day feeling like a bad mum when he's in nursery. And then when he goes to bed, I'm the same. I feel guilty about working full time. To drop a day would mean a loss in income and I've got some debt I need to pay off. I just constantly analyse everything I do as a parent, even though I love my son more than anything in this world. I'm going to get the professional take from you in a minute, Charlotte, but I just want to say as another parent, the fact that you are worrying about this so much means you are an amazing, amazing <laughs> mum. Is that a fair comment? Yes, absolutely a fair comment. 
What advice would you give to anyone who is really struggling with that guilt? Firstly, thank you very much for your vulnerable message, whoever sent that, sent that through. And secondly, I want to give you a great big hug and I want you to give yourself a great big hug. Just literally put, wrap your arms around yourself and give yourself a great big hug because parenting is the hardest job in the world, hey? We haven't had any previous training of it. Mm-hmm. It's on the job, on the spot training as you go. The money's terrible. Every <laughs> yeah. The, the, the little people, they don't come with a manual. If you have more than one child, then everyone's different. Every child is different. And really, this is when we come into our deep work of being good enough, our own values, our own worthiness. And that is something which actually hasn't got anything to do with parenting. It filters into every single area of our lives. And it feels like with all the work I do with clients, that that is the main thing that we end up working on. And we, of course, there's uh, techniques and breathing and journaling. There's lots and lots of, um, I use the the path of embodiment to help um, parents and educators connect to themselves to really think with their bodies, not with their brains, because we're always in our heads, these repetitive thoughts over and over again. I I never remember the exact figure, but it's either 95 or 96% of our thoughts every day are are repetitive. So we're stuck in our heads. Come into our bodies. What are we really, really feeling? When we feel anxiety, where is that in our body? Is it in our chest? Is it in our tummy? What color is it? And And then it's fun because with our children, then that's a connective moment. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling angry. Let's shake it out. Let's do helicopter arms. Let's take it and do a visualization and throw it away, throw it into the sea when we're at the beach. So these really simple techniques are, are more of not trying to push away that overwhelm. Mm-hmm. A- acknowledge it. Welcome it in. When you're at work, put a hand, uh, one hand on your heart and say, yeah, I I feel really overwhelmed. I've and got I've, a lot. And I've got a lot on my plate. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't feel like it's getting any easier. And often that that's what self-compassion is, is honoring where we are in that moment. That, again, coming back to sacredness, that's a, a part of sacredness. What It is what it is right now. And we all have seasons of our, of our life that feel utterly overwhelming. And, and we feel this sense of, you know, then we question, is this the right path? Is this the right country? Is this the right job? All of these, have I made the right choices? Mm -hmm. And that's part of our human experience. And and allowing us to be compassionate enough to say, yeah, this is a lot. And I'm going to write that in my journal. I'm going to give myself a hug. I'm going to shake it out. And doing these is cultivating them as daily practices so that instead of the 95, 96% negativity, we find the right tweak for us to just release a tiny bit of that energy. Maybe we can only feel better for 10 minutes a day. Maybe this mum can only find 10 minutes a day. But if we practice that muscle of like cultivating that self-compassion, radical self-compassion is what I call it, then we can feel better over time. Mm-hmm. We can extend it and extend it. And these, t- these tiny wins are really, really important to help us come back into our bodies, to feel to feel better, really, that's what we want. Because our little person, this little boy um, in nursery that the mum mentioned, she, she is, he is the centre of her world and she is the centre of his world. He loves her on a biological level more than anything. Every cell in his body is primed. I'm going to make everyone cry I know, now. Every I was cell, about to say you're going to get me. Every cell in his body is primed for attachment and connection to her. 
he lived in her tummy for nine months if he went full term before, you know, and then the, the eggs are in our bodies all of our lives and then our mothers and our grandmothers. I mean, that's mind-blowing, isn't mm. it, when we get into that. So every cell in his body is primed to know her and to connect with her and to love her. That's not going to change. Thank you. <laughs> oh. Message here again, no name, and it's absolutely fine whether you're getting in touch with Charlotte now or Scott after four o'clock for our legal clinic saying, the most overwhelming part for me is keeping the balance between two worlds. Raising a special child and a neurotypical sibling, it's like a roller coaster ride and way too emotional. I mean, that is... That's huge. It really is, you know, trying to be everything to, to you know, to very different children. Charlotte, I wanted to ask you a little bit, because this is such an area of expertise for you about Montessori, um, and perhaps how some of the techniques or insights from that education system can perhaps help in our sense of parental overwhelm. Are there, are there any kind of actionable things that we can be doing, trying, introducing into our homes or our families that you recommend? Um. Lots. Yes, There's, <laughs> I was just my brain is whirring, thinking, okay, where do I start? Um, Montessori works on universal principles that all of us, as humans, have these tendencies, regardless of um, race, culture, socioeconomic group, that we all want to belong to a community. We all have a tendency. We want to belong to a community. We want to make a difference. We all want to grow person personal growth. We want to feel this deep sense of validation and belonging. So we can cultivate that with children and every human's the same. And it's going to look different in every age group. So for your toddler, that means giving them a spray bottle of water and a cloth so that they can wash a window. And of course, when they're a toddler, that isn't much help. But when you've got a seven-year-old who can wash the windows, that's really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. And for my children who are and now my daughter, Olivia, is almost nine and my son, six and a half, um, and because of our, our setup at home, we live in a little one-bedroom apartment and we've got IKEA loft beds and it's all a bit chaotic and messy as everyone's everyone's home should be, mm -hmm. I would like to add. <laughs> um, we can talk show homes after half yes. past, but right now it's about family yeah, life. Exactly. <laughs> and um, part of the work that I do with them is we involve, um, involve them in everything. They, they Children want to do um, what's needed to be part of a community. They want to contribute they want to be able to make a difference and children get so much self-confidence from making a difference mm -hmm. we when we have our cleaning day uh, say on friday afternoon then it's what needs to be done it's the hoovering it's the mopping it's the folding the laundry change the bed sheets it's i write that on the whiteboard actually my my daughter olivia writes that on the whiteboard and then we just pour a portion out the task to eat to each of us and it doesn't look perfect of course it's never going to look like a show home but that's okay but the sense of Firstly, if we think about academic success, the um, the skills that they're learning from being able to do things like that are huge. And from a young age, children can help. But more importantly, in the bigger context of what it means to belong to a community, to mm -hmm. feel valued, there's no monetary value on, on learning how to change duvet cover, right? But the the sense of being able to help and yeah. belonging Con and making a difference. Yeah. A capable, compassionate contributor is what we want to raise. And, and simple things like helping with the, with the load of a home. A child 
over the age of six is more than capable of doing that. We just need to often let go of our expectations of what it's going to look like. Well said indeed. Um, you consult with families, work with parents and educators. It's enriching environments on Instagram. If you want to send me the word child, I'd be very happy to send you links. You can catch up with Charlotte. And, and as I said, her Instagram is a great resource for all sorts of amazing ideas. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Such Helen. an important topic. And everyone listening today, trust me, you are doing far better than you think you are. This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer on Dubai Eye 103.8. With House and House, 10 years of unlocking opportunities in Dubai real estate. Charlie Bannon, Sales Director at House and House, live in the studios. We talk about how to find a good property agent. I mean, I've got one in the studio, but for those who aren't as fortunate as me, we're going to be breaking it down. Now, Charlie, you've been in Dubai seven years. I've been here coming up to 17 years and have lived in, I don't even want to work it out. Let's just say a lot. A lot of places, a lot of places. What has changed, though, in that time is the quality of care. Because when I first moved here and I was on, I was looking m- myself, would be a case of, hi, I found this, I've seen this place advertised. Are you the agent? Yep. All right, great. When can I come and have a look? Oh, it's open. Just go around. And then I'll take my commission. I was like, I don't really feel like you've, be- you've, you've been in my corner there, sir or madam. How do you feel like the current landscape is, the standards of property agents in Dubai now, Charlie? Yeah, I think even in the seven years that I've been here, it's changed uh, more to more geared towards giving a good customer service. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what people expect and that's what they're looking for now. So I think that there's a lot of leading agents out there trying to do different and better things to make sure that anyone looking to buy, rent or move is, is going to get a good full service and not just uh, maybe a, an unlocked door and a conversation <laughs> on the phone afterwards. Tell me then a little bit about... The rear of regulations, because a lot of framework has changed in that time as well, you know, expectations from, from government side. So in terms of a qualified registered agent, what are some of the things that we should be looking for as members of the public? Yeah, so every broker that's working with clients should have a, a BRN number, a broker registration number, which is offered directly from Dubai Land Department. Brokers have to go through um, a course and then a test, and that's when they get their certificate to be able to actually work with clients. And I suppose more recently, the Dubai Land Department have initiated QR codes on every listing, which is available for sale or rent or even off-plan projects. Where do you find that QR code? Where are they placed? should be on every single listing, whether it's on Instagram or one of the property portals or on their own website. Um, no, essentially no properties now should be listed without the QR code. And in order to get the QR code, you need to have documentation from the landlord or seller to say that they actually want to make a move in the market, along with their ownership documents and uh, photo ID. Why was this brought in? What problem is it ultimately solving, Charlie? Fake listings. I think uh, predominantly you you would have heard yourself or, or dealt with yourself over the years calling agents and that one's not available, but I've got this down the road. And this is this is really an attack to try and to stop that. Um, again, so that anyone looking to make a move from the portals is actually going to get a, a half-decent service when it comes to calling agents. So QR codes now essential. What else should we be looking for in a listing with an expert eye? If we are, as you say, really keen to, to buy, to sell, to relocate, what are some of the insider tricks, do you think, Charlie? I wouldn't say I've got anything that's sort of going to... Uh, going to blow anyone's mind here but just maybe a well-written description um nice photos and i suppose when you're reaching out to the agent and, and you first make that contact maybe just a bit of gut instinct and i suppose it's you need to rely on the agent to be able to communicate to you and for you to the other side of the table so you need to make sure that they can they can do that on a very basic level quite quickly to for you, for you to be able to um trust them 
throughout the whole process. Have you had, for you and your colleagues at House and House, had people come to you saying, I thought I had a good thing going, but I was just ghosted by an agent? Uh, yeah, sure. Like, it happens all of the time. And I think that, you know, clients don't get back to agents and it's probably because of how the agents dealt with the client initially and, and vice versa. It happens. But I think that most, if you can carry a conversation and you can get on with them and there's, there's an element of trust from the beginning, just just ride that wave and hope it stays. And if it doesn't, obviously there's so many brokers out there that, and that's why the customer service has probably increased because... Charlie, got a quick few questions I want to squeeze in. If you've got any property property law questions, don't forget we're talking that after four o'clock. Um, right now, though, message here from uh, Duncan saying, can you recommend a decent agent in JVC? We had a property secured for rent, signed and sent deposit, then it fell through because the landlord was renting to his brother. Amongst being shown many different apartments to what I've inquired on, we need to move ASAP. Can I just pass on your details Duncan would that be okay absolutely that's okay, fine perfect um, and Jess is saying great timing I'm looking to buy the, an apartment the one I'm currently renting but it needs quite a bit of work doing she says grouting kitchen sink cupboards doors maybe the AC would it be best to get a quote on the work to see if it's worth it and then reduce the asking price or could this already be asked, included in the asking price the landlord hasn't seen the apartment since I've been here 18 months ago Hard to say without the numbers and photos, I know. Yeah, it probably depends on the price. Um, I'd probably ask whoever you're working with to provide data of what's recently sold, um, in uh, very comparable, mm-hmm. to try and work out a, a small deduction to cover those costs or to yeah, just try and negotiate around what's actually happened in the market as opposed to potentials. Charlie Bannon, Sales Director, my last question to you. What's hot right now? What's keeping you guys at House & House busy, excited, out and about and helping people? Anything that's vacant. <laughs> <laughs> is there much around? Uh, yeah, of course, there, there is. I mean, we've, we've got lots of options and I think some of the bigger agencies have. And yeah, but anything that's vacant and ready to go seems to be still putting in a lot of attention. What about time frame? And I know we're going to dig into other topics around buying, renting. But if someone's looking to rent, you know, maybe they've just moved to Dubai. Um, what kind of lead in time do you, would you tend to recommend? Because my husband is the most organised person on the planet. And when we had to start looking, he was like, four months seems about right. <laughs> No. Four, yeah, four months probably a little bit premature when it comes, probably when it comes from like a negotiation perspective. I'd say the sweet spot, if, if you know where you want to be and where you want to go, I'd say literally like two, three weeks, maybe four, if you're a little bit nervous. Mm-hmm. But if, if you're new to the market and you really want to get an understanding of the different communities, I'd say six, seven weeks. Okay, thank you. For anyone that wants to get in contact with you, as I said, your sales director at House & House, would it be okay to send out your details, they're all on the website anyway. Yeah, that's it. They're okay. all there. That's fine. I will send them to Duncan, who was got, getting in touch about a JVC agent. And if you want Charlie's details, just send me the word house and you can spell it like house and house, H-A-U-S, or you can send me house as in the word that I come to know or send me a house emoji. I will understand <laughs> what you mean if you want to speak to uh, some industry insiders, see what is available. But big takeaways from today, look for that broker number. QR codes need to be on all listings to avoid any fake listings. And uh, yeah, find, find a good guy or gal and keep that communication going. Charlie, thank you so much. Thanks very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. We love introducing you to inspirational people and coming to the UAE for the first time is the Progressive Property Network, massive event in the UK and it's coming here um, in just a few days. On the line now is keynote speaker Alfie Best, who is known as the Gypsy Billionaire. Um, Such a pleasure to catch up with you, Alfie. How are you? Pleasure's mine, Helen, and thank you for having us on. Now, you have gone from caravan to mega mansion and your journey is truly, truly 
extraordinary. What do we need to know about your upbringing to understand the man you are today? Um, look, there's, there's, everybody's got a story to tell. And uh, personally, I think it's how we perceive that story. Um, you can always look at a story as being negative or positive. Thankfully, I've always looked at my story as being uh, very positive. I was born um, in a caravan on the side of the road. And today I control Europe's largest residential mobile home park company, along with about 17 other companies, with a value of in excess of about £1.2 billion. Um, and I've been privileged enough to know the hard knocks in my life haven't carved chunks out of me to put me back down the ladder. Mm. But luckily, I've learned from them to bring me one step at a time up the ladder. Are there any key moments, Alfie, that you feel like have really shaped your path of success? And do you feel like your background has influenced your approach to business? I think all of our backgrounds can influence where we're going. Um, it's how we perceive our background. You know, gypsies come with a, a terrible stigma of liars, cheats and thieves. Um, and I mean, um, what I say to that is, is when you're the poorest or seen as the poorest uh, people in the world, um, you know, you've only got one way up. So I try to take the positive out of everything that I do. And uh, for me, it doesn't matter whether you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth or whether you're be uh, born with your fingers in your mouth. It's uh, you've still got to eat. And luckily, if you take each challenge that's given to you and you can nurture from that, you can only become not only a better person, but a more adapt business person mm -hmm. don't allow your confines of where you are to define where you should stay i think a lot of people do as you say face challenges and, and prejudices based on their background and you've overcome these obstacles with 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 a plum i think it's it's fair to say um are there any kind of pre like i guess principles or values that you feel like will be your legacy um, look, when you're first starting off on your journey or mine was purely for financial gain. Mm. Luckily, um, at the age of 30, I think I have achieved um, what I consider at the time to be an awful lot of money. And then you can start to look at creating a legacy. And for me, my legacy is to create genuine, affordable, quality housing throughout the world. And our intention is to become the biggest residential park operator in the world. And our goals is to become completely global um, as we see Europe as now our stepping stone to the next part of our destination. So, you know, we have to look at where we start and each goal is like a ladder. We take it one step at a time. Because if you try and jump up the ladder five, six, seven or eight or ten steps, there's a good chance you'll fall. The idea is to take one step at a time. It's interesting you thinking about how your idea of success has evolved over the years, Alfie. You know, talking there about initially being financial, you worked, you know, working in with cars and, and mobile phones and, and now property. What does success look like to you now as a, as we said, known as the gypsy billionaire? And I guess the numbers might start to lose a bit of meaning when you get to those kind of figures. But what about personal success and fulfillment? Look, I'm, you could say, um, not a fulfilled person, but that non-fulfillment is the bit that gives me my drive. Mm. And I live in fear 
of going bankrupt um, because that fear, I don't turn it to hurt me. I turn it to drive me. And I think it is imperative that we all have a small amount of fear in us, but we utilise that fear as the petrol for our engine. But now what wealth does, and it does for many people, is gives them choice and it gives them choice of freedom. Do I want to go left? Do I want to go right? And there are very few things that can stop you. Yeah. You've become such a prominent figure in business and, of course, the gypsy communities as well. What about giving back to those communities? What are your hopes for the future in, in that area, Alfie? Well, look, I think it's about giving back to a wide variety of things that I'm passionate about. We have our own charity called the Wildcrest Parks Charity. And um, we cater for people that have got Alzheimer's and we try to raise as much money as possible. And the reason being because uh, our residents that live on our parks are in their semi-retirement and retirement age. And we see what the effects of that is that has not just on the people that are slowly fading away is the way I would put it mm-hmm. from the shell from the, to a shell of their former self but the effects that it has on their families and the other great passion is I don't believe that everybody is confined they allow their selves to be confined by government telling them what they can do and not having that fire so I absolutely thrive on helping other businesses, speaking to many, many, many business people uh, across the UK, across the world. I've only just come back from giving speeches in the US. And my great passion is in pushing people forward, getting the best out of people and allowing them to become the best that they can be in their life to give them the best life they have. Alfie, thank you so, so much. As I said, coming from unconventional backgrounds to Well, what sounds like global domination, one step of the ladder at a time. You're going to be in Dubai later this week, as I said, for the Progressive Property Network. Um, Really appreciate your time today, sir, and uh, keep us posted. Thank you and uh, wishing us hopefully a book or two in the future as well, if you can find the time for it. The pleasure is mine. Thank you very, very much. I look forward to seeing everybody at ppndubai.com. The weather is glorious and waiting for you. Alfie Beth, you're going to find him on Instagram. It's Alfie Beth Senior if you want to find out what's been happening behind the scenes. Get ready for one of the busiest hours on your radio. If you've got any property law questions, you're going to have to be fast because in the hot seat today is Scott Hutton, partner and head of construction practice at EKP and I, I'm just grateful we've stolen you away from a very busy practice for an hour, Scott, to answer questions. What is keeping you busy right now? I'm certainly looking at a screen just now. It says a road to COP28. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's talking about sustainability at the moment. I helping my son with his geography homework last night on sustainability. Mm-hmm. So it's a buzzword. How much is happening there? I think we could do an awful lot better in terms of construction and real estate industry I agree. here. But... Hey ho, keeping me busy at the moment. Same old queries, landlord and tenant. I suspect we'll have a few here. We will. Um, you're on the back of last week's rain. Have we got damage to property? Have we got anyone Ooh, with issues there? That's um, a, that is a really interesting one because why does everyone's 
villa or apartment leak uh-huh. when it rains. And also, who? I mean, should we have renters insurance here? Um, contents insurance, yeah, um, mm. because if if something, if property is damaged, if your property is damaged, then you know you're gonna you're gonna wear that, so you can take tenants insurance policy to cover your contents. Just going to send a quick message to my husband during <laughs> during the break, Scott. We've had loads of messages for you already. You can get in touch on 4001. You've got the app, you've got the WhatsApp. You don't need to put your name on, but if you do fancy a chat, the phone lines are open 04871 Should we just get straight straight into it? Let's do it. Rizwan's been in touch saying, um, I'm looking to buy a property in Dubai. I'm wondering if there's any way around the 20% deposit. I can afford the monthly payments, but the deposit is the tricky part. I know that when you buy a car, sometimes you can incorporate the deposit amount into the total loan. Is that possible with property? It's perfectly possible to agree whatever terms you like, but you've always got a problem where the person standing in the queue behind you is willing to pay that 20% deposit. It's it's just supply and demand. So yeah, in, in theory, it's perfectly possible, but driven by market economics rather than anything else. However, if you're willing to do a deal the chances of a developer um, or seller turning you down, I think, if you're there, ready to sign. What, what we say, maybe you say this in your part of the world. My mum used to say, Helen, shy burns getting out. And that means if you yeah. don't ask, you don't get. So, Rizwan, ask, report back. I'd be interested to hear what mm. comes back there. Um, Lauren saying, hi, both. Great timing. We're about to transfer on a property we've purchased and my husband, joint owner, has to travel I need to get power of attorney for him. My question is, where do I get it from and does it need to be a specific type? Just don't want to get rejected at the transfer office. Uh, yeah, you'll need to have a, a very specific power of attorney referring to um, the specific rights you want to have, so to deal with the registration trustees, etc. But you go to go to the notary public, they'll sort you out there. It's an easy process. Okay. I suggest going first thing in the morning. For me, it's school drop-off in notary public. Because <laughs> Tends to be quiet in the that, morning. Is that the routine? I, I, I had to go and get our nanny's visa transferred the other day. And I was like, I was there. I was waiting. The door opened. I <laughs> snuck straight through. I could see people coming up the pavement behind me. I was like, mm-mm-mm. 759. Should also point out, you can do you can do a power of attorney remotely now as well. If you have um, anyone with an Emirates ID, can, we can set them up remotely. You pay a little bit more for it, but it's, it's, a, it's a nice, quick service. We've had questions about buying off plan. We've had questions about property management companies. Um, uh, no name on this one, and you can be anonymous, saying we've just moved here from the UK and we found a flat to rent in Arjan. The estate agent is saying we need to pay the 5% security deposit up front before we see the tenancy contract, and it's apparently non-refundable if we do back out. I just want to check, is this right? In the UK, the tenant has to put down a holding deposit to secure the property, but it's refundable if they back out. We've got no intention of backing out, but we'd have to apply for a loan to pay up. Any insights? I wouldn't put money down without seeing a contract. And this is reminiscent of recently I've seen things. It's like we forget the the lessons of the past. Um, And this is back to what was happening in 2007, 2008. So when when we arrived, um, you know, pay your money and maybe we'll we'll give you a lease. Um, (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) Um, So... I would be insisting on seeing those terms. You know, again, that same principle, if you're standing there with a deposit check, I'll show you mine, you show me yours. You've got to give me the, the terms there okay. before I sign up to anything or before I commit money 
that and is non-refundable. A chunk of change. We've got lots of questions coming in on the text line on the phone line too. Fatima, tell us a little bit about how we can help. You bought a unit off plan. What's going on? Yeah, it's been now uh, four months since I've had the handover uh, and the community is not yet established. Um, I now want to sell the unit, uh, but I've been asked by the developer to pay the service charges since the handover till the end of the year. Um, as I want to sell it, they told me that I have to pay this before I do that. So I was wondering if uh, this is uh, true or not. Okay, right. Tell us, Scott, is the law on Fatima's side? What's, what do we need to know? Hi, Fatima. Uh, the law is definitely on your side in terms of you are liable for service charge for the period you're there. So if you move out, you sell and move tomorrow, um, then the service charge is apportioned over the year and the buyer would pay a portion of it. So even if you pay it now, you'll be able to recover or you should be able to recover a portion of that from the buyer when you complete the sale. Are they in a position to say that she's not able to sell until this this fee is paid? That's one of these things where there, certainly as far as I'm aware, there's no technical law on it. However, the developer holds the upper hand here because you need an NOC to be able to sell. So he won't give you that until it's paid up to date. So, so but, but as you're saying, it, it, it could be pro-rated. Oh, it absolutely should be pro-rated. Okay. So ultimately it might be a case of paying this and then getting that money recouped from whoever buys it. Does that make sense, Fatma? Yes, it does. But my question was that the community is still not established. Uh, you still have to pay though, the charges. Well, you pay. So service charge is a not-for-profit cost. So the service charge is for services actually provided so it should be still a relative charge on what services you're getting so if the community is not there you i would imagine there's roads there and there are utilities coming out in and out okay so there will be service charges due there but you can ask for a breakdown of the service charge like what services am i actually providing or being provided and what ones am i paying for mm-hmm. so it's very clear on what you got because you're not got the benefit of, it sounds like, parks and play areas and things that haven't been developed yet. So could they be pro rattering that, saying, you've, you've offered this, but you haven't offered that, and I bought it on the basis of the full package? Yeah, I mean, you should get a, a breakdown of your service charge. The management company should have, these are the, a, a list of the services being provided and their actual cost. And it's, you know, it's a matter of fact, here are the services, here are the cost, that's what we pay. So request that from the developer, a list of the services being provided. Might be a bit of wiggle room there, Fatma. Keep us posted, won't you? That's lovely. Thank All you right. very much. Good luck. Take care. Thank you. Um, message here saying, what can you do to oust or eject a non-performing, at best damaging, property management company? No one seems willing to intervene and your response could help more than 300 owners. No pressure, Scott Hutton, no pressure. <laughs> Disappointing to hear that nobody will intervene is the, the law changed here relatively recently on service charges. So RERA now deals with service charges um, and joint loan property. So RERA absolutely should be stepping in here. The owners association, and in fact the owners committee, has a right expressly stated in the law to request RERA to remove a non-performing management company. So you can go to RERA, you can ask them to remove the management company and recommend, give them recommendations of who you want in. Okay. Andy, um, 
I can well send a give a copy of this podcast to whoever you're speaking to down the line. I can give you Scott Hutton's details if you like. Four zero zero one. I was just chatting to you off air about things that are really getting my goat right now. I felt like it was a just needed to share. And I'll tell you for anyone listening, it's putting it's it's trying to trick me into replying to your emails by putting re um, in the subject headline as if we're having a conversation when really we're not. Um, and I asked you what's annoying you right now professionally. What's 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 getting your goat, Scott Hutton? On property matters, landlord-tenant matters, is deposits. All the time. I've been on here before, talked about just be a decent person. We're not asking that much. Where um, The law here is based around fairness and transparency generally. And we're saying to people, look, just be reasonable. Mm -hmm. The one for me that's always got me and I've fought with every landlord I've had here, repainting your property when you leave. So insisting that tenants pay that before they get the deposit back. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's written into the lease, then yeah, you have to repaint. But otherwise, you return the premises to the landlord in the same condition, subject to fair wear and tear. Paint fades. That's normal. Now, when my kids draw all over the wall, that's <laughs> not normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's on me. But we don't have to repaint premises. You don't have to do a deep clean unless your lease says you do. Um, these things is just landlord protectionism, you know, just... Pre- Keeping the deposit, seeing the deposit as part of the rent, it's not. It's not. It's not. How do you feel about a little quick fire round? So I've only got about three minutes with you left, Scott. Okay, go. Let's do it. Okay. Um, message here saying, I'm a UAE national who wants to co-buy property with my son who's married. If anything happens to me or my son, how is the Sharia law inheritance done? Will everything go to my daughter-in-law as his wife? Please advise. I'm no Sharia expert and based on being on a quick fire round, no, I believe, is the short answer. They'll be separated. There'll be shares going to lots of different places. The only way to manage that, you can register a will. Even as a Muslim, you can still register a will with the courts, but only 30% of your estate will go by the will. Okay. I hope that helps. Um, are any colleagues of yours who are um, hot on Sharia law or inheritance that you'd recommend? Uh, yeah, I can certainly make some recommendations, given my details. Okay, brilliant. I will reply with a link there for you. Um, a message here going, Helen, Helen, great timing. I want to ask, what supersedes when renewing rental lease? Is it A, the rent index as per the rear rent calculator, or B, the rental valuation certificate? The valuation certificate will take precedence and essentially replaces the rear calculator. That represents the average market rent. But the maximum increase is still only 20%. And last question from No Name saying, we got an eviction notice on the basis of a landlord's planned personal use of the property. He's still requesting us to accommodate viewings for sale. That doesn't sound right, does it? Fair. Does it pass a sniff test? It smells (laughs) a little bit fishy, doesn't it? I had one case, so I'd finish with an example. Um property the value had increased massively and the landlord was advertising it for lease before the existing tenant had even moved out and if you're gonna be a reasonable person (laughs) if you're going to break the rules at least be smart by it about it what can this person do to protect themselves in that scenario record keeping so keep a record of everything you receive if you're asked for viewings keep a note of them and then as and when the property is relet, you could sue the landlord for wrongful eviction. Okay, 
stay strong, keep us posted. Scott Hutton, thank you so much. If anyone wants to find you or indeed your colleagues, is it okay to share the link if someone sends me the word law, for example? Of course it is. All right, brilliant. Hopefully I'll see you before the sevens. Otherwise, I might see you at the sevens where you are keeping everyone on the straight and narrow on by the side of the pitches. Um, and thank you so much for your time today. Always thank an you. absolute pleasure. Dubai Eye 103.8 presents an array of independent expert opinions and does not advise one particular view. Always seek independent legal advice which considers your own personal circumstances. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.